The Ain't No Fang Podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. D-backs are in the Fall Classic. Arizona Sports Diamondbacks post-game special. Coverage presented by Presidential Pool Spas and Patio and Y-Refi. Burrow takes a deep breath. Passes side. Goes to work in the 3-2 pitch. And he got him looking and Heim knew it. Nine strikeouts on the night for Merrill Kelly who's got another 1-2-3 inning. An absolute gem from Merrill Kelly tonight. I think the Diamondbacks know who their postseason hero is. Good I think evening. Everybody knows who the postseason hero is. Good evening, everyone. Steve Zinsmeister, that's Mitch Vareldis as well. This is our third show in the last 24 hours. Yeah, so if you haven't had uh, enough of us yet, uh, sorry. We pretty much live here in the studio. Uh, Merrill Kelly pretty much lives on the mound. I thought he might go all nine innings tonight. I did too. Uh, we talked about this earlier, previewing the game this afternoon, and how I, I thought that Merrill Kelly was going to go deeper than normal in this game just because of the incident that happened after the last time he got pulled. And I thought Tory was going to come into this game and give him a little bit longer of a leash if he dominated. Well, turns out he did. Um, you had said that you thought it was partially because of the bullpen usage and who was available to them, and that played a factor tonight as well. Merrill Kelly goes seven innings, three hits, no walks, only the one earned run on the Mitch Garver home run, which, by the way, was a pretty good pitch. That was about as low and in as you can get it, and absolute credit to Garver for getting down with the barrel and forcing it out to left. Even Garver, during his, during his interview mid-game, he said, like, you don't hit that pitch in the air. No. Like, that's not what I was trying to do. It's not what I did. If you watch his swing, he kind of lets go of the bat, like, wait, did I just do that? Um, but yeah, you gotta, gotta give a ton of credit to Merrill Kelly. I think he is far and away the Diamondbacks best pitcher this postseason. And that's saying a lot considering the games that Brandon fought has had. He will get his chance in game three at Chase Field on Monday. We'll certainly talk about him later in the program as well. But Merrill Kelly dominant tonight to the point where you really didn't have to take him out at any point. They do eventually go to Andrew Salfrank for an inning and a third, and that worked out pretty well as well. Luis Frias got two outs in this game, which means they saved all of their best relief pitchers for potentially game three. That's huge. With the way that these relievers had to work hard for their innings that last game and game one, where I think it was Ginkle through 28, Seawald had 22, Nelson had 22, Four pitches, uh, even Ryan Thompson through 17. So none of those guys had to pitch tonight because you win the game 9-1. to one, And things were working offensively as well. Merrill Kelly, 9Ks, zero walks. Only four pitchers have had more strikeouts with no walks in a World Series game. 2017 Game 1, Clayton Kershaw, who had 11Ks. Hall of Famer. 1949 Game 1, Don Newcomb, who had 11Ks. I think Hall of Famer? 2009 Game 1, Cliff Lee, who had 10Ks for Philly. He's in my Hall of Fame. And a 1903 Game 1, Deacon Felipe with 10. Steve, that was the first ever World Series game. Mr. Felipe. Wow. The first ever World Series game. Yeah. That explains why I haven't heard of him. And here we go with the most latest. And you mentioned the offense. Um, I was seeing the stat here as I was scrolling down to what I was looking for. I'm just literally on Sarah Langs' Twitter account. Here it is. The Diamondbacks' 16 hits are the most in a World Series game since the Giants had 16 in 2014's Game 4. The only other team with 16-plus hits in the last 20 years, Boston in Game 1 in 2007, they had 17. I was looking for like any weakness in this game today. And I saw the left on base was still eight for the Diamondbacks, uh, which is double what the Rangers left on base. That's but, a fair weakness. But you have to, no, but it's not even really when you think about it because they had eight, they had 16 hits and four walks. They were on base so much that you were bound to leave some dudes on base. They were also six for 14 with runners in scoring position tonight, which is just below half. Yeah. Big, big improvement for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Some other headlines in this game. Tommy Pham, boy, what a night did Tommy Pham have. Four hits in four at-bats. He scored twice in this game. Probably the best game he's had this postseason, although he has another four. He had a four-hit game game earlier. Yeah, so he's been absolutely fantastic in tonight's performance. Uh, A lot of talk about his approach at the plate. Everybody in the top five in the lineup had at least one hit tonight. I believe that's the first time we've seen that in a while. Everybody in the top five. 
That includes Christian Walker. Yay! Everybody got a hit tonight. Woo! By the way, didn't really raise the batting average much because he's I, one for you five know what? on the night, but I'll take it. You know what? I don't care because you know what that is? That's a morale boost right there. And progress. Your team, everybody, literally everybody contributed to this win tonight. Even Paven Smith, who literally was announced and then sent back to the bench. Everybody in the lineup contributed to this win tonight in some way, shape, or form. So it feels really good to see Christian Walker get in the hit column. It Uh, really does. It's pretty remarkable that this happened in the game tonight, and it's maybe the third or fourth headline on my list. But Cattell Marte set the MLB record for hit streak in the postseason. It's also the amount of postseason games he's played in still. Like, let's not forget, he's now made history, and he's making history with Longest postseason hitting streak to start a postseason and the longest postseason hitting streak. He's doing both simultaneously right now. 18 games now? 18. 18 games. The first 18 games he's ever played in the postseason. It's remarkable. Every time he comes to the plate, I feel fairly confident that he's got a great approach at the plate, whether it's swinging the bat righty or lefty, facing a righty or a lefty. I always feel confident in Cattell Marte. He gets it done tonight. Alec Thomas was left in the lineup today despite facing a left-handed starter. He usually does not play against left-handed starters, but Torrey Lovello decided, you know what? This kid is hot. He's swinging the hottest bat on the team right now. He's confident despite his age, and we need him in center field to play defense, and they go with him, and boy, did that work out tonight uh, because Alec Thomas had a great approach at the plate as well. Two hits and five appearance, uh, five at-bats tonight. He was spectacular at times, so... That decision worked out, and it's really kind of the first time that Torrey Lavello has deviated from the analytical strategy, and boy, did Alec Thomas come through. I saw a great tweet tonight from, I'm just trying to find it right here to make sure that I wasn't um, seeing double, but Alan Thomas. Does that name ring a bell to you, perchance, Steve? Uh, not really, no. Alan Is that his dad? Thomas? Yeah, that's... Uh, I assumed. That's his dad, Alan Thomas. Who, there was a post about, I mean, a whole bunch of people were posting about Alec Thomas should never be benched against the lefty again. I did. To which <laughs> to which Alan Thomas replied, especially when his dad is lefty and has and still the only one that throws BP to him just his whole life. Okay. I love that his dad has that confidence in him and that they focus on that thing specifically. Yeah. Um, this is not me crapping on Alec Thomas, but I can justify why he doesn't play against lefties typically is because, historically speaking, and that means the last two can, seasons, can he you, doesn't hit lefties. Can we let him have one night? Yeah, absolutely. Steve, come on. Absolutely. Come on. Let's not bring up po- past statistics. We literally were no, we were just shunning regular season statistics earlier this morning. What are we doing? No, but I think the point that I'm trying to get at is that despite his tendencies in his career— he has overcome that at a time like this when you're in the World Series. Yes. You're asked to go out there and have two, if not three, at-bats against a left-handed starting pitcher, something you're not used to doing because they don't allow you to do it, and something that you're not typically good at doing, and he overcomes that. I think that's the headline for Alec Thomas. It's not that he can't do something. It's that he's learning to do something. I'm just making sure. I don't want you bashing on no, him. No. We were working hard to make sure that I think it speaks volumes time. of the kid. To be 23 and growing in the World Series, that's that's remarkable. Here's another fun stat that I liked. Only one team had a game with three sack bunts this season. The Diamondbacks in May uh, on the 6th. So, of course, they're the first team to do so in a World Series game since the Cardinals in 11 in Game 5. You remember that Cardinals team in 11, who they played? Uh, the Rangers. I remember it well. God, baseball's so weird. And eerie. Creepy like that. Rangers were one out away from winning that World Series. Again, three sack bunts tonight. Evan Longoria had a sack bunt tonight. Yeah, that's... He never sack bunts. Right, that's the thing. I think I saw the last time he did that was like 2014 with the Rays, I think I saw. And it's just the variety of guys that are willing to sacrifice for the team. Both literally sacrifice bunt and also in other ways, metaphorically, sacrificing for the better of the team. Yeah. Geraldo Perdomo puts down great bunts. He's been fantastic at that during mm-hmm. the postseason. And I love watching him on the base pass, too. He stole another bag tonight. Um, but it's the variety of guys that are willing to lay down bunts for this team because they know how they win games. It's like this. You win 9-1. to one. How many home runs were there in this game? Only the one from Gabby Moreno in a nine-run game. Yeah. That's impressive that they were able to piece this offense together the way that they did tonight. This was Diamondbacks baseball at its best. How about this? 
Seven two-out RBIs tonight. Seven out of the nine that they scored tonight. I believe they call that clutch in the business. I believe they call that clutch indeed, yes, of course. <sighs> so many headlines some, for today. Literally, I, <laughs> we came in and I said, maybe we should just come up with something funny to say to lead off the show because there's too many headlines to choose from after tonight. Literally too many. There's a lot. Uh, and now we get to preview game three coming up later in the show as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about Brandon Fought and who we might see from the Rangers. I don't know if it's been announced officially yet, if it's Max well, Scherzer. So I want to have a um, – wait, Scherzer for game three? Would it be Scherzer for game yes. three? Yes. That's been announced. I was actually going to ask you about game four, but we can talk about that later. Let's, yeah. Well, let's let's, let's hear it. what the people got to say, right? The peeps. The people. Uh, uh, the number to call, 602-260-9870. If you want to chat with us about what went on in Game 2, a 9-1 to dominant victory in Arlington. The Diamondbacks will come back to Chase Field on Monday for Game 3 with this series tied. We want to hear your thoughts. 602-260-9870 is the number to call. Lots of big headlines. Which one grabbed your attention the most? Steve Zinsmeister and Mitch Varellis with you tonight on the Arizona Sports World Series post-game special. D-backs are in the Fall Classic, Arizona Sports Diamondbacks post-game special. Coverage presented by Presidential Pools, Spas and Patio, and Y-Refi. One ball, one strike. Perez to the plate. And a base hit up the middle center field. Two more are going to score. And Cattell Marte has delivered again. The Diamondbacks are on top 6-1. to one. The hit streak to 14 this postseason and 18 in his postseason career. Greg Schulte on the call for World Series Game 2 that just got out of hand for the Rangers. The Diamondbacks walk away with this victory 9-1, to dominant in almost every sense of the word. They are not just back in this series. It's not just snakes alive. They've got all the momentum right now as they come back home for Games 3, 4, and 5. Snakes thrive? Snakes thrive. Do we just... Do we just slightly alter? Well, our guy Jeff told us he's working on something new. Yeah, the Snakes Alive guy says he's got a new, uh, he's got something new coming. We'll I wonder see. what that'll be. We wonder what it is. Snakes but, Thrive. I like that. So this is kind of the setup for the call-in portion of the show tonight. There's so many headlines to choose from. Literally, so many headlines to choose from. So we're asking you, what is the biggest headline from tonight? There is literally no right or wrong answer. It is your opinion. What is the biggest headline from tonight's Game 2 win? Your turn to call in, 602-260-9870. Again, 602-260-9870. That's where Rowdy in Santan is ready to go. Rowdy, what is the biggest storyline from this Game 2 win for you? Man, hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call tonight. Of course. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, all I know is that Merrill Kelly tonight, he pitched. An unbelievable gem, man. I was stoked to see uh, Torrey leave him out there for that seventh inning just so that he could do what he did um, with, with us. Uh, man, I, there, like you say, guys, there's really so many. We could go with Alec Thomas and him getting the two hits. We could go to Christian Walker and him getting the hit. Um, but really, I think Tommy Sam. Um, I could, you know, usually in the World Series, some, it's like an unnamed MVP. I could see Tommy Pham pulling out the World Series MVP on this one, man. He's just, what do they say? Tommy Pham is a vibe. <laughs> so let's go, D-backs. I could see it. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I love the energy, Rowdy. Thanks so much for the Rowdy, call, Rowdy, living up to his name there. Uh, so I thought at first he went Merrill. He's going with Tommy Pham tonight. I think that's a good choice. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Tommy Pham's had a great start to this series. There's no doubt about it. He's going to get plenty of more opportunities in this series. He very well could walk away with a, a World Series MVP. Like a like I, you and I were talking about a name earlier, like a Cody Ross, like a guy who's not the best player on a team, but can who's going to carry the team through the right. World Series. You could just be a sneaky MVP. Uh, one comment I, I want to make on Merrill, by the way, we talked about the incident in his last start getting pulled a little bit earlier than he thought he should have uh, after five really good innings. I think that played a bit of a role in him going a little bit longer tonight. Also, the fact that some of their bullpen arms weren't available, uh, or at least maybe not as fresh as they could have been because they went long innings yesterday. What about the fact that Zach Gallen got called upon for game one and not Merrill Kelly? 
Now, I think in his heart of hearts, he doesn't really mind because he knows that this is a 1A, 1B situation, and this team has two aces that are very comparable. There wasn't the same amount of time off in between, though, for the two. But tell me that somewhere deep down inside, Merrill Kelly isn't at least a little bit peeved that he wasn't called upon for game one, that he wasn't asked to be the guy in the first game of the World Series. I don't think he would ever admit that it bothers him, but I think somewhere that might motivate him just a little bit because he's been the dominant ace of the team in the postseason, not Zach Gallen. Yeah, but I think at the same time, this team is so selfless that Merrill doesn't care about that. Merrill just wants to go out and get the win. That's kind of how I feel. And he went out there, and he got the win tonight. So one headline, obviously Tommy Fam. we're asking you, what do you think is the biggest headline tonight? Jacob in Mesa, what for you was the biggest headline from this Game 2 win? Hey, guys, how we doing tonight? We're, do- we're doing great, Jacob. Hopefully you are as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a great night as a Diamondbacks fan, you know. Uh, for the headline tonight, though, I would just say we've been saying embrace the chaos all year, but I, I think we're at that point where the chaos is embraced. You know, uh, Geraldo Perdomo showing up and laying down some buns. Um, Corbin Carroll getting some infield. Or, uh, Alec Thomas getting some infield singles tonight. Corbin Carroll laying them all down. All the young guys stepping up. Um, and obviously you guys talk about Merrill Kelly. I mean, there's no words to put together to describe what game you put together tonight. Um, but just looking forward to the future of this team. Um, this is our year. I truly believe that the Diamondbacks are a better team than the Rangers right now. Um, but altogether, I just think that that chaos is finally embraced and the Diamondbacks are playing the best baseball possible. Awesome. Thanks so much for the call, Jacob. I mean, it's hard to argue, right? They put together one of the most complete offensive games that I think I've seen, not just this postseason, but maybe all season long. Um, Offensively, defensively, pitching, I I think this is maybe the best game the Diamondbacks have played. I know there's that 11-2 victory in Game 1 of the Dodgers series where they just totally jumped on Clayton Kershaw and he doesn't even get, I don't even think he got an out in that inning, did he? I mean, there's, there's victories like that, right, where it just gets away. It just gets out of hand. I don't think that ever really happened tonight. I know you win by eight runs, but this felt like a complete victory. Like they weren't just scoring all their runs in the first inning and then playing keep away for the rest of the game. This is a team that really put it all together tonight, managed to score, what was it, seven runs in the last three innings of this ball game. Two in the seventh, three in the eighth, two in the ninth. I think that that speaks volumes of of them showing that, hey, we're not the kind of team that's just going to cower. We may not beat you with the long ball. And by the way, they had the same number of home runs today, these two teams, if you want to look at it that way. And the Diamondbacks still win the game 9-1. to That tells you their style of baseball. Bobby J in Mesa, we're asking you, what was the biggest headline from this Game 2 win? Man, you want to say Merrill? You want to say Merrill? Marte keeping his thing going, but we're, we're thinking Christian Walker. He made three Golden Gov plays. I, you know, comes out with a hit. That gave momentum to this team the whole way across. I think we got to give a little love to Christian Walker tonight. I'd probably give him the game ball. Interesting. Ooh, I like that take, That's Bobby. Thanks so much. Dark horse candidate. I mean, I don't think he's getting a game ball over a guy who set an MLB record for hit streak in the postseason or a guy who threw the most dominant outing. But did he make a barehanded play with he a ricochet sure off of the base? Come on. I, you know, That's honestly, a good point. We haven't even mentioned Christian Walker's defense. We did talk about Walker it. Tonight. We talked about it after last night's game because, remember, he made that uncharacteristically odd play at first base where there was a, a ball that was bouncing down the first baseline, and it could have gone foul, and he stepped out of bounds over the foul line and caught the ball after stepping out, and it was therefore foul. Um, and I, it's not like it was a bad play. He would have made the play. It just, I don't know, maybe he misread it off the bat or something. But it was an uncharacteristic play yesterday. And what does he do today? He gets a similar play where the ball bounces off of the base, ricochets off the base to a different direction. Mm-hmm. He barehand snags it and then brings it in, almost like a football play in the back of the end zone, brings it to his chest, makes the play. And I think that that was a huge moment for him tonight. Then he gets the hit to kind of break the slump a little bit. Also, the underrated defensive play of the night for Christian Walker when Luis Frias went to check on Semyon at first and Walker was literally nowhere near the bag and caught the ball between his legs. That thing was going to right field, Semyon going to second. Heads up play by Walker. Enough can't be. There's not enough that can be said about his defensive prowess. All right, let's go to Tim, who's calling from Apache Junction. Tim, 
What was the number one headline for you in this game two win? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Um, I I think that was an absolutely beautiful game they played. There's so many things that went in their favor, and they just executed so well. They had great aggressive hitting, played awesome defense. But I mean, there's only two words I can say, and that's Merrill Kelly. He just he he had that game in his hands, and he just showed what a real ace looks like. Absolutely agree, uh, Tim. Thanks so much for the call, man. What were your thoughts on Merrill tonight? Uh, he shoved. Also, did you know it's ASU's homecoming weekend? <laughs> Former ASU. He guy. knew. He totally knew. You right? Think that was Come the motivator. On. Oh no, it's a hundred percent the motivator. I just think he had so many things to motivate him tonight. With getting pulled early, we talked about the bullpen not being as fresh. We talked about not being called upon for game one. I think he just had everything going for him in this one. And this isn't me commenting on, on Zach Gowan as much as it is on uh, Merrill, but I think Merrill has proven that he's right there in the conversation with who is the ace of this staff. Like, if you have to pick one guy right now, it's Merrill. And the other or thing I was thinking about... be forced to change our opinion on Monday? Well, maybe. And I hope so. I hope that they continue to push each other the way that all great athletes do I just when they he, have good teammates. I just hope he gets more than 18 batters. Well, Brandon and, fought. And think about this, too. Randy Johnson in 2001 started games two and six and came in in relief in game seven. Dog. Could, could we see the exact same thing from Merrill Kelly? Well, I'd rather just not see a game seven at this rate. I'd, I'd rather, rather see not this too. done in five. Yeah. Because they have the opportunity to get this done in five, and that would just be beautiful. But all Mwah. things considered, right now he's on pace to pitch games two and six. Yep. If there happened to be a game seven, I would think they would want Merrill Kelly or, throwing in that Or game. Let's, fix, let's rearrange it. Say they're up... I don't, I don't want to get too out of myself, but say they're up three games to one. Game five at home. Gallon struggling. Kelly from the pen. Maybe. Could happen. Like, get the win at home kind of situation? Yeah, I kind of like that scenario a lot. Again, if they get it done in five, awesome. Maybe you won't even need Kelly for that. Uh, let's go to Chad, who's calling from Scottsdale. Chad, what was the number one headline for you in this game two win? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. I would say uh, yes, Mer- yes, Merrill Kelly, yes, Cattell Marte. But how about the bottom of the lineup? Like, how good was the b- bottom of the lineup today? They were fantastic. And then I would say, can you can you imagine how good this team would be if Christian Walker was actually hitting the ball? Like they have done all they have done throughout the playoffs, and Christian Walker has been awful offensively. Um, maybe maybe he breaks out of it with that base hit in the ninth tonight. So, but yeah, definitely the bottom of the lineup for me today. That's yeah. an interesting take, take, Chad. I like that. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the last three spots in the lineup, Alec Thomas, two hits tonight, even though he was facing the lefty that he doesn't usually face. Evan Longoria has a hit tonight. He manages to score in this game. Uh, even the guys who replaced him, Emmanuel Rivera, had a hit tonight, two RBIs and scores. Geraldo Perdomo had a hit, scored, stole a base. So, yeah, it, totally right on, Chad. At the bottom of the order, getting it done in this game. Really, everybody contributed. I mean, I'm looking at the hit column right now. The only guys who didn't have hits tonight are Paven Smith, who literally walked to the batter's box and then walked back to the dugout because yeah, that doesn't uh, really of a count, pitching but change. It, it does count, yeah. And Jace Peterson did not officially have a hit tonight. But he other got on base that, and he scored. Other than that, everybody had a hit tonight. Literally a hit parade. Yeah. So everybody getting the job done. Yeah, it's a good, important point that Chad makes. All right, do you want to have your thoughts live on the air with us? Just give us a call, 602-260-9870. We are taking more of your calls on the other side of the break, 602-260-9870. What was the biggest headline from this game, two? And we'll look ahead to game three here in a little bit as well. I'm Steve Zinsmeister with Mitch Vareldis on the Arizona Sports World Series postgame special. are in the Fall Classic, Arizona Sports Diamondbacks postgame special. Coverage presented by Presidential Pool, Spas and Patio, and Y Refi. 3-2, swing, fly ball, left center field, long run for Tavares, still going, still going, and that one into the bullpen, gone! Diamondbacks strike first on the solo shot from Moreno, number four this postseason, and it's one nothing. I believe that means Gabby Moreno now is tied with Alec Thomas for the lead on this team with home runs this postseason at four. That would be his fourth. And that would be the Diamondbacks' only home run in this game, despite scoring nine runs in a 9-1 to ball game where they take game two, tie the series up on their way back to Chase Field for game three. 
Gabby Moreno walking away with the only home run of the day. He's been spectacular. I still can't get over the fact that the team leaders this postseason in homers are Gabby Moreno and Alec Thomas, and the team leader in stolen bases this postseason is Christian Walker with five. <laughs> A bit unconventional. I still can't get over that. Yeah. How bizarre is that? Everybody getting in on the hit parade today. Every single player, uh, outside of Jace Peterson, who had one pinch hit opportunity, and Paven Smith, who barely made it to the plate before he got pulled back out of the game. Yeah. Uh, everyone else had a hit in this game, at least one. There were three guys who had two hits tonight. That's Carol, Gurriel, and Thomas. And then, of course, Tommy Pham. What can you say about a four-hit performance? I mean, it's his second one of the postseason. I think you said earlier, isn't he one of the, like, only a handful of guys who's ever done it three there, times? There are two gentlemen that have had three four-hit performances in their postseason careers. One of them is Tommy Pham. I, I quizzed you on the other, so I won't quiz the audience because they can't hear me. The other one is Albert Pujols. Yeah. The Machine. He was pretty good. <laughs> he <laughs> had a three-homer game in a World Series, Steve. Yeah, he was yeah, pretty good. He was all right. Um... Man, there's Tommy so much Pham to putting about. himself into that equation. I mean, that's what a night, dude. It was a great night. Tack the home run on top of that. He's having a good World Series. And we're getting your calls on the matter. So the question that we've been asking the listeners all night is, what is the biggest headline for you? Here's some of the big headlines we have so far. Tommy Pham, the chaos being embraced, Christian Walker, Merrill Kelly, and the bottom of the order slash Christian Walker again. So now it is Luis in Mesa's turn for what he thinks was the biggest story from this game to win. Luis, go ahead. Hi, thanks for having me on the line, um, on the show. Um, I just want to say this. Like today I heard something that, that really pissed me off before the game. I heard that all the Texas sports radio was just talking about uh, after last night's game, last night's game, how they punched us in the gut and we were demoralized and they were going to take this game and they were going to come to Phoenix and they were going to take two games from us. And that was that they were, they were already giving the, the, the Rangers the, the trophy practically. All I want to say is this, like, this team's resilient. We belong here. And I don't know when people are going to stop doubting that we belong here and i think we have a good chance of taking all three games here at home and even if we just take two out of three i think we can win in texas again that's all i have to say go d-backs go d-backs indeed thanks so much for the call louise anybody who was going to give the trophy to the rangers after one game don't listen to them they haven't been watching the diamondbacks this season or this postseason because this is a whole nother team in the postseason than they were in the regular season so that would be my advice to you, Luis, is anybody who's willing to just crown somebody a champion after one performance. And yeah, it was a great finish for the Rangers last night in game one. A walk-off homer at home, is that's exciting. That's a big deal. That Corey Seager two-run homer, I heard that it was one of the loudest moments, decibel-wise, like scientifically, one of the loudest moments in baseball this season. But that doesn't mean that they already won. That doesn't mean that they've got a World Series championship on their hands. The Diamondbacks, this is what they do. They come back. They surprise people. I think, you want to talk about demoralizing. Game two in Philadelphia was demoralizing. And Merrill Kelly wasn't even that bad in that game. It's just that his offense didn't show up that night and the game ends 10-0. to That's demoralizing. Where you're now down 2-0, there's zero momentum, even though you're coming home to your own ballpark. That was demoralizing. Yes. Last night, I don't think the Diamondbacks had anything to hang their heads about. No. I thought Miguel Castro made a decent enough pitch, and Dolis Garcia pushed it over the wall in right field. Sometimes it happens when you're facing the most talented hitter in the postseason right now. 100%. Things happen like that. It just is the way it is. Um, let's go to... I've got to make sure I've got my list in order. Let's go to Josh in Glendale. Josh, what was the biggest storyline for you from this Game 2 win? Oh, man. Is this uh, Steve and Zach I'm talking with? Steven Mitch, but we'll we'll give you a pass on that one. Oh, Mitch, uh, I mistook your last name, Moreldis. Is that right? Uh, it's it's close enough. It's a tough last name. It's a, it's it's difficult to to say. It's what do you got good. for us, Josh? You guys, yeah, um, you covered most of it. Um, looking at it from the you know the demoralizing loss that we had in Philadelphia. That's kind of the loss we gave to the Rangers. And yeah. similarities are that, you know, with the the way that I saw that game when we lost, they were calling strikes 
out of the zone, and I saw that a lot tonight. And, you know, not to be a, a negative Nancy or nothing like that, but um, I'll take this win. I love it. You know, I, I'm a D-backs fan for life. But um, we got a lot of work to go, and, you know, we we can't take this for granted. And, you know, it's it's sometimes the, the ball – falls on one side of the line and one side of the other it's whoever is calling the game but um but yeah it was it's always good to good to get a win when the the ball falls on your side thanks for the call josh uh yeah it's interesting comparison to to talk about game two in philadelphia to this one and say basically we did to the rangers tonight what the Philadelphia Phillies did to us in game two but an important point about that is think about how that resulted for the Diamondbacks in that series they came back and won it so if you're the Diamondbacks right now and I'm sure the lo- the clubhouse feels this way too as good as this win was tonight it has zero impact on tomorrow or in this case Monday just because you won big in one game in the series doesn't mean that it's over by any means. And I don't think anybody in the Diamondbacks clubhouse is thinking that way. I'm just making the point that if the Diamondbacks could overcome that demoralization in Game 2 in Philadelphia, then the Rangers can overcome a demoralizing loss in Game 2 at home. I firmly believe that. So, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, just incredible performances tonight. Merrill Kelly, seven innings. We'll go over it again. Seven innings, three hits is all he gave up. The one earned run on the solo shot to Mitch Garver, who hit, I thought, a really good pitch low and in over the wall. He even said in his mid-game interview, you just don't hit that pitch in the air. Nonetheless, over the wall. So even he seemed a little bit, I don't want to say surprised, because I think that's what he was prepared to do. Um, But he even said, like, that just doesn't happen. Merrill Kelly's nine strikeouts, part of the reason that Torrey Lovello felt comfortable giving him a longer leash tonight and letting him take that seventh inning. Now, out of the bullpen, because you had a significant lead in that eighth inning, you get Andrew Saulfrank, who did not pitch in game one, notably. He throws 17 pitches to get one and a third innings done. He only gave up the one hit. I thought he was in the strike zone a lot more, which is something that after the NLCS, I think they needed to see that from Andrew Saulfrank. Um, sometimes you forget this kid is still a rookie. Not just a rookie. Not like Corbin Carroll is a rookie, but like came up two months ago rookie. That's the guy that we're talking about right now in this bullpen. So to get some work in in the World Series is huge for his confidence as well. And then Luis Frias is the last guy to come in. He gets two outs tonight through 14 pitches. I think getting him to work in the World Series is important as well. And they save some of their bigger arms who are going to get an extra day off before Game 3 at Chase Field on Monday. There's one guy who I kind of hoped would have gotten a little bit of run in this in this particular game, but we can get into it in a second. And uh, I... Beg for uh, patience from the callers that are waiting on hold currently right now because it's time to go to Glove Life Field in Arlington and check in with our own Alex Weiner. Sweet. Smiling after a 9-1 win. Alex, did even you act surprised, or sorry, not act surprised, were you surprised even by the results of tonight? Well, I am a tremendous actor, as you know this much. But um, <laughs> from LA, surprise! Yeah. I mean, any—that's oh, true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, anytime there's a nine-one game in a World Series, that's not necessarily what you're expecting, especially how close last night's game was. But man, um, what an unbelievable bounce-back performance for a team that you know—they've come back before the answerbacks. They came back from down two-zero and three-two against the Phillies. We we know all of this. But to do it in the World Series after losing a game, unlike it, it was unlike any loss that they've had in this postseason to lose a game where they were winning late and it just didn't happen. Uh, I mean, and it, it, it was a huge performance. I mean, to get that out of Merrill Kelly, to get that out of your offense, which needed a huge game like this after it's had a bunch of like good, not great, kind of okay games. Um, they had they they were sort of playing the greatest hits tonight as far as Moreno home run. Bunning all over the place, guys running, kind of getting hits from everywhere in the lineup. So, uh, yeah, that was a tremendous, tremendous win for the Diamondbacks to go back and get home field advantage back. Walk us through what made Merrill Kelly so dominant tonight. What do you think he was doing that was so effective against this Texas lineup that was the best offense in the American League all season? He was darting it. I mean, the accuracy, the command that he showed was just terrific, and he was executing his pitches all of his pitches for the most part. I mean, he got, I think 20, I think it was 22 called strikes and 10 whiffs. Um, and so 
just a Rangers offense that, yeah, you mentioned is great. And we saw last night that, you know, a bunch of their guys are really dangerous, could change the game with one swing. But uh, he just was avoiding barrels all game long, except for the one Garver home run, which wasn't even on a terrible pitch. It was a, I believe it was a sinker that was cutting low and in the kind of a borderline strike that Garver just kind of golfed out of there. Um, but other than that, and maybe one other mistake pitch that ended up being a deep fly ball, he was pretty picture perfect. And um, when Kelly has his command going like that and he's able to use all of his pitches, he's pretty dang hard to hit. We've been asking the callers this tonight, and there's so many different angles that we're going to touch on individually, but I just kind of want to go wide view. For you, what was the biggest storyline from tonight? Merrill, I would say. I mean, the offense was great. I mean, that's it's definitely, and on most days when you have nine runs on 16 hits, which is the most any team's had this postseason, Yeah, um, it's more hits than the Diamondbacks had when they scored 11 runs against the Dodgers that game in game one. Um, that was huge. They got hits from 10 different guys in the lineup. But the way that Merrill was able to give them depth, give them length uh, on a day where, you know, last night they had to use Kevin Ginkle for 28 pitches and Paul Seawald eclipsed 20 pitches. And they end up losing extra innings to give those guys the night off by being so good and letting your offense kind of, you know, have opportunity after opportunity to break the game open. And then they eventually did. Um, it was Merrill's night. Cattell Marte now holds the record for the longest hit streak in a postseason career, and that's 18 games now. It's every game he's played in in the postseason in his career he's got a hit. Is that something that matters to him? I'm sure it's great. It's it's a nice accolade, but is that something he's thinking about when he's at the plate? He was asked about that in the clubhouse after the game, and, and while he's very appreciative of the honor and wants to continue it, no, not really. I mean, even in a game like today where he was 0 for, I believe, 0 for 3 before, maybe 0 for 4, he was 0 for before he got his first hit late in the game and driving a couple of runs up the middle. Um, that, that's not something that pops in your head there. There you're just trying to execute. Um, you know, last couple of games, he was able to keep the streak going, but not the greatest offensive games for him. But that was an important couple of insurance runs to really break this thing open. Would you believe me if I told you that Tommy Pham is in the same company as Albert Pujols when it comes to four-hit games in a postseason? Uh, no, I mean, because it's pretty incredible to have four-hit games in the postseason, not to mention to do it twice. I mean, in one uh, run, yeah. nobody has, I know, in one run. Nobody's had two four-hit games in one postseason run since two, uh, 2021. It was uh, Kike Hernandez and, uh, and Eddie Rosario. So to... You know, it's another huge accomplishment. You know, it hasn't been the most steady postseason offensively for Fam, but um, monster game against the Dodgers yesterday, big home run, uh, and then today, you know, four hits and you know, kind of doing it different ways, spring the ball the other way, kind of going with the pitch and then lining one up the middle. Uh, so yeah, another huge day. Talking to our D-backs insider Alex Weiner, he joins us live from Arlington after Game Two victory for the Diamondbacks, nine to one in this one. Tony Lavello kind of made his first managerial decision, I think, that blatantly went against the stats and the analytics by playing Alec Thomas, the hot bat, in center field tonight, even though they were facing a lefty starter in Jordan Montgomery. Were you surprised that he did that to begin with, and then apparently it paid off glowingly because he had a couple of hits? Yeah, you know, it's it's one thing where, and he explained this before the game, is that Thomas had started against Jordan Montgomery before this season, and um, they liked, they went back, they reviewed those at-bats, they liked what they saw, so they put him in there. Um, they, you know, Lavella mentioned wanting more defensive coverage out there, just based on where they were at with the pitching, how much they needed at a Merrill, and just having sort of that safety blanket of knowing you have AT in center field and Corbin out right. So, you know, the reasoning all made sense. That said, they didn't do that against the Phillies, so... You know, I was thinking maybe they would kind of do the same thing and have Rivera start. Didn't end up going that way. And yeah, a couple of hits for Thomas. But then Rivera comes in and drives in a couple of runs on a hit anyway. So it was just everybody's night. But yeah, the decision paid off. I think it's obvious that the offensive approach was far improved in comparison to game one. But I just love these two stats in particular. In game one, or I don't have the game one stat, I'm sorry. But in the game two tonight, they had eight whiffs. As an offense, so only eight times they swung and missed. The first time it being in the fifth inning, I believe, with Perdomo on a check swing. And then the first time they struck out tonight, it was the second out in the eighth inning. It's such a stark contrast to how they approached last night than they did tonight. 
Bingo. I mean, that was a huge, huge deal. I don't know if that's a process mode or so execution, but um, yeah, it, it, it just kind of made I have one strikeout in a game um, like this. I mean, not have one until the eighth inning. Um, and it wasn't like they were walking all over the place yesterday. You know, it looked a lot different as far as a lot of the swing and miss and just this game. They put everything into play. And Jordan Montgomery, I think he had two whiffs in, the, in his outing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just consistently putting pressure on the defense. And then eventually, it's not like they were crushing a ton of home runs. They hit one home run in this game. But by putting that many balls in play, sharp ground ball up the middle gets through. You know, player gets through. Sharp ground ball to the left side gets through. That, that Longoria one comes to mind where he drops a blunt down which was crazy to watch yeah. earlier at bat. And then the third baseman, Josh Young, comes in, and then he kind of punches one right past him on a ball that maybe Young should have, Young should have you know, knocked down, but he didn't because he's a little bit closer, and those are the little inches that matter in this. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a different... Again, like when I say greatest hits, was, they sort of did a little bit of everything offensively. Um, and, you know, it's that kind of led to an avalanche late in the game. Our D-backs insider Alex Weiner joins us live from Arlington after game two. And Alex, with you being on the road for these games, can you compare for us the crowd volume, the environment that there was in Texas compared to what they experienced in Philadelphia and how important a game like this offensively is for the Diamondbacks to silence that crowd? Yeah. um, Well, it's different. Philadelphia is outside and this is an indoor you know, ballpark, you know, retractable roof and all, but the roof was closed for both of these games with weather outside. Um, so that changes it a little bit. It was one of those where it was maybe a little bit less consistent noise, but more so, but the pops were really loud. And yesterday when Seeger hit that ball, I mean, that was about as loud as we got to see this postseason. I mean, Tori said that was the loudest like crowd roar he's ever seen, which is like, he's been to a lot more games than I have been. So that was pretty <laughs> impressive to hear about. Um, yeah, tonight they were completely taken out of it for the most part. I mean, you know, early Montgomery gets out of a couple of, uh, you know, early innings, get that ground. That, that double play was about the loudest I heard them early in the game. Uh, and then the Garver home run, but really not much to cheer about. And it, it was crazy because there's a section with like, you know, D-backs, you know, front office and family and all that kind of stuff. And they were chanting, let's go D-backs. And it was loud enough for the entire stadium to hear it. Wow. And you know, sometimes when that happens, you know, from road fans, you know, getting a chant in, you hear booze, you hear this, the stadium puts on like background noise to kind of, you know, quiet it down a little bit, but none of that, they just let them go. And so for a little, you know, a few minutes of this game, it was just, let's go D-backs just echoing throughout. So that was pretty crazy to see. That is crazy to see and to hear about Alex Weiner joining us from Globe Life Field in Arlington. So now this series comes back to Arizona. Would you say the momentum is on the Diamondbacks' side just based off of the win tonight? Yeah, but you would say the momentum was on the Rangers' side after the win last night. So this thing about momentum is you got to keep it. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge win to take uh, the split here. Give yourself, a, you know, it's a much easier task to go back home 1-1 than it was, you know, down 2-0 like they were against Philadelphia. And they have control of this thing now. I mean, this this is exactly where you want to be in. They probably could have been up 2-0, but you never know. Maybe they don't come out the same today if they win last night. You never know these things. So, um, but yeah, this is, this is, you know, as big of a statement win as you can get from one team kind of dominating the other. But there's a game, there's a day in between. It'll be Brandon Fott, who's been terrific, especially at home this postseason against Max Scherzer, who's kind of been there, done that. Um, it's a fascinating pitching matchup between, you know, a rookie and somebody who has so much experience that Scherzer has. And so, We'll see what we get. Yeah, I was comparing their stuff. I mean, their fastballs are pretty similar velocities. They both throw, one throws a slider, one throws a bit of a sweeper. The changeups are similar Mm -hmm. velocities. I mean, Max Scherzer was Brandon Fought on the Diamondbacks, what was it, 15 years ago at this point. So it is an interesting one. But Scherzer is coming back off of uh, an injury. He just started pitching again on October 18th, 10 days ago. He's had two outings. The first was four innings. The second was two and two-thirds. He got roughed up in both of them. He's already given up seven earned runs in less innings than seven. So uh, how long can they realistically go with Max Scherzer? And is this essentially going to be a bullpen game for the Texas Rangers? Uh, not on a bullpen game, but it's certainly going to be one where they lean on the bullpen pretty heavily 
for kind of the second half. Like, like not like traditional bullpen game, like I always think of as sort of like the bullpen gets most of the innings. That might not be the case. It depends how it goes here. But you're right. He hasn't thrown a ton of pitches. He hasn't gone very deep into games yet. He just came back. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a thing where, and especially in, in game four, where it's not totally obvious who's going to start for either team. Um, so that's going to be something to watch is just how deep does Brandon Fott go? How deep does Max Scherzer go? And what kind of pressure can the other can each offense put on the opposing bullpens with a bullpen game essentially coming up? The Rangers have more long relief options potentially for games three and four. You know, we saw a bunch tonight. Andrew Heaney got some work. Dane Dunning got some work. Martin Perez got some work. These are starting pitchers that they're using as bullpen arms to kind of give them some length back there. And they have John Gray, who we saw in game one. So the Rangers have more guys who can give them multiple innings. Um, but yeah, that'll be a big storyline for these next couple of games. All right. Before we let you go, because we know you're a very, very busy man and it's the grind continues as soon as tomorrow. Uh, what are you going to remember about your trip to Dallas? We'll see if it's the only trip to Dallas, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's just the baseball games. Man. I mean, two incredible games for very different reasons. I mean, last night was just, you know, unbelievable. The back and forth early Diamondbacks taking control and then sort of the late heroics from, from Texas. And then tonight to see Merrill do what he did. Uh, and then an offensive performance like that. I mean, it, it's been cool. And so I haven't gotten to do much sightseeing in Dallas. It's not like Philadelphia where I was staying downtown and was able to walk everywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a different environment. But the, the baseball so far in this World Series has been terrific so far. So let's hope for more of that. Look, in general, I always love that, to hear that you're having a good time wherever it is you're going because it's very hard to get the enjoyment out of the where you're going when it's a work-related trip. So I'm just happy to hear that you're always having a good time when you're going to all these places. Alex, as always, thanks so much. Safe travels back here to the Valley, man, all right? All right, thanks, guys. That's Alex Weiner, our lead Diamondbacks writer for us with... Arizona sports uh, take a quick break and then we'll get some more of your calls because I know some of you have been patiently waiting for your turn so we'll get to Anthony Richard will Zeke and many more of you on the other side of this break here on the Arizona sports World Series special the D-backs are in the fall classic Arizona sports Diamondbacks postgame special coverage presented by presidential pool spas in patio and why refi Three, two, and there's a shot to center. Tommy Pham's got himself a four for four World Series game here. Second time he's done that in the postseason. Steve Zinsmeister and Mitch Varelis with you on the Arizona Sports World Series postgame special. Not to get nitpicky, Steve. Second time he's done that this this postseason. postseason. I, he's yeah. done it three times in his entire postseason career. Absolutely remarkable. Um, just one of many headlines in this game. You want to talk about Marte and his hit streak continues. You want to talk about uh, the success of the bottom of the lineup tonight. You want to talk about the decision for Alec Thomas to play against a lefty and how that led to some success tonight. You want to talk about Merrill Kelly having the most dominant performance from a starting pitcher this postseason. It all happened in one game. Yeah. <laughs> all of it. I mean, it's the most complete victory that I think you've seen. Despite the 11-2 to victory in game one of, against the Dodgers, this game felt more complete to me than even that one. Yeah. There were more hits. They had 16 hits, the most they've had in a game in the postseason. They had four walks, so they were on base at least 20 times tonight. They only hit the one home run, so they're scoring in many different ways. They only walked one batter the whole game, and I think it came in the last inning. Yeah. Uh, whereas yesterday, they walked 10 hitters. So, I, I mean, just night and day difference between games one and two. And game one, they weren't even that bad. Here, I think, was the funniest stat of the night, and it doesn't even feel like a massive stat. Merrill Kelly just threw the longest start in a World Series game in the 2020s. Seven so somebody did it in 2019. Well, I think they were just cutting it off at the I think, 2020. No, I think I read, I think Strasburg did it in 19. I mean, he won MVP. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. I think he did. I think somebody else did it too, but I can't remember that statistic off the top of my head. All right, we are going to get to some more of your calls. 602-260-9870. How did you feel about the dominant 9-1 to victory in Game 2? Let's go to Anthony in Peoria. Your thoughts on the dominant 9-1 victory tonight. Hey, guys. Yeah, no, it was a good game. Um, my biggest takeaway is obviously pitching with Merrill Kelly, but not having to use the bullpen because you know what you're going to get in game three. Fought is on always a short leash, five or six innings. 
can't go through the third time through the lineup. And then you know you're going to have a bullpen game where everybody's going to get used. And say they win all those games, you know Gallon will be on a short leash, I'm not guessing, for game five. And if he struggles, because it's not like he's been super lights out, like you have a bullpen that's rested. You have arms that are rested. You have everybody that's available to use. And if you are up 3-1, I mean, no one's off limits, I would say. So just having those arms be available, I think, is tremendous and huge. And props to Kelly and props to Solfering, too, for, for not having, for having a good outing and not uh, having the consistency like he's had the past couple of games, especially in the Philly series. So that's, that's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, absolutely, Anthony. Thanks so much for the call. That's a name that we haven't brought up yet, and I think it's an important name to bring up. Andrew Solfrank, who, yeah, to Anthony's point, he's been kind of beat around and not so consistent in his last couple of outings. And as a result, he kind of got, I mean, can you even call it a demotion this late into the season? He was well, a rookie for Pete's sake. Last game, they went with Mantiply early. He was the first lefty out of the pen, and that's not unusual. He's gotten the call a couple of times. He's He's been pitching great. Yeah. Like, and no knock against Joe. I think where I was more surprised was late in the game when they ended up going with Kyle Nelson over Andrew Salfrank. Yeah. That was more where I was surprised. Because he and Mantiply are both, they're like 1A and 1B, kind of like Gallon and Kelly in the rotation. I think Mantiply and Salfrank are on similar terms right now in terms of their role Either one of them could come first out of the bullpen on any given night. So, Agreed. Yeah, totally agree on Andrew Solfrank. I'm just happy that he bounced back. Maybe that sees him another high-leverage situation because, you know, like Anthony said and like we already know, if Brandon Fott's going to get cut off after 18 batters, then you're probably going to go to Thompson, Lefty, Ginkle, Seawald tomorrow how, or on Monday, right? How about also, too, Tori Lavella wanting to get some not just postseason experience but World Series experience for a guy who just got called up in August? Yeah. Like, you got to think about it in terms of, okay, how are we building confidence moving forward, too? And I think that plays a role in this conversation. You know what? That perfectly sets up what I meant to bring up earlier but didn't. When are we going to get Jordan Lawler on the field, man? Yeah, I just don't think it's a high priority right now. Jace Peterson got to pinch hit tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come on. What are we doing? I thought They're maybe... They're up 9-1. You can't throw him in at shortstop for a half inning? I, you'll have to forgive me. I don't remember the exact scenario, but there was a point where Evan Longoria was was standing at second base late in the game, and you had a pretty significant lead at that point. Right. And I thought to myself, maybe this is a place where you can get Jordan Lawler in the game for some World Series experience and pinch run him for Longoria, and then they could have just pulled him right back out and put Emmanuel Rivera in at third. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they could have done that. Uh, I think Longoria ended up scoring on a base knock anyway, so it didn't end up impacting the result. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like there is probably a scenario in an- another potential blowout where Jordan Lawler could work his way into the game. Look, I can, I can envision it as to why you have Jordan Lawler on the roster at all. What's the alternative? You send him back down to AAA and he's just sitting at home? No, like he's going to be a part of this team next year. Have him be part of the team. At the same time, if he's going to be on the roster, use him. Even if it is only for an inning in a yeah. blowout win. It's going to have to be in a blowout, one direction or the other. I mean, depending on whether you're winning or losing. Right. I just argue here was an opportunity tonight and they didn't take it. And yeah. at this point, I don't know why. I think that's fair. All right. Let's go to Richard in Apache Junction. Richard, what was the biggest storyline for you coming out of this game to win? No, I forgot about that question. That's okay. That's why I'm asking it right now. Yeah, I know. Well, the biggest thing for me was um, the fact that I didn't listen to the first game and I listened to some of the divisional games, but I didn't listen today that much. And I was on the radio, and of course, when I'm not listening, those guys do amazing things. So I'm not going to listen anymore. Are you, are you feeling like it's a reverse jinx kind of situation where when you don't listen, they win? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking care of that jinx for them. <laughs> there you go. I'm a very important guy. You yeah, don't know. Clearly, yeah. You're doing your part, Richard. We appreciate it, too. <laughs> All right. That was interesting. Thanks for calling, Richard. Appreciate it's, uh, it. It's Will and Mace's turn. Will, what was your biggest storyline from this win? Go for Will once. Go for Will twice. Goodbye. 
All right, let's go. Well, that was your moment, man. That sucks. Let's go to <laughs> Zeke. Zeke, you're our last caller of the night, man. Zeke. Man, I got to tell you, we, we got to point out that play with Christian Walker at first base. That was the best damn play I've seen all playoffs, man. That was that did it for me. That literally got me riding high and feeling good, like Dukes from Flint, Michigan. Let me tell you, that was the best damn thing day of the night. And I I'm a, I'm gonna be the first one to say this: Suns are gonna win the title, and D-backs are gonna win the title in the same damn year. Ooh, I, all I got to say, I love that I confidence. I'm riding high right now. <laughs> I love that confidence. Well, they won't win it in the same calendar year. I can tell you that. Yeah, but they'll win it in the same <laughs> season. In the same, yeah. Will it be the same season? Technically, I, I don't know. The NBA is half in one year, half in the other. Every other sport except for baseball is half and half. Steve, yeah. it's no, not I like they're it. special. I understand the sentiment from Zeke there, um, and I certainly hope that we see that. That would be that would be very good because that would mean that within the next week we will see a World Series championship for the second time for the Arizona Diamondbacks. But of course, as we know, Steve, one game at a time. And what's next? Well, that would be game three on Monday. Oh, yes. by the way, let's let's not bury the lead. Um, there will be a game five. So there will be three more home games yeah. this postseason for the Diamondbacks. Now, the bad news, uh, the tickets are sold out. And the secondary market's pretty expensive, right? But it's pretty cool because I heard that this great company that we work for, Steve, is giving you the chance to win tickets. Oh. Did you know that? Well, not me. Not us personally, but <laughs> the company is giving us... Gotcha. They're giving away tickets. Understood. You can find more information about it, actually, on the Arizona Sports app and ArizonaSports.com uh, for more information on how you could potentially win tickets to these World Series games. But for right now, let's just focus on Game 3. So what do we know? We know for sure it's going to be Brandon Fought on Arizona's end. And yes, we do know for sure it's going to be Max Scherzer on the end. I still love this storyline of here's the one that maybe got away and now here's your next opportunity at greatness when it comes to pitching prospects that have come through this organization. Yeah, and I think that most other fan bases that know Max Scherzer, which is everybody, everybody knows Max Scherzer. He's one of the best pitchers of the last decade First and a half. ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, nobody thinks of him in a Diamondbacks uniform. Only, only people here in Arizona think that. Yeah. Nobody else does. You could go back to his Tigers days. You could say the Nationals. You, I mean, there's a lot of different versions of Max Scherzer over the year that people think of before they think of Arizona. Um, so while it's going to be on the minds of a lot of people here, I don't think it's that big of a deal to people outside of Arizona. With that said, Max Scherzer was essentially Brandon fought 15 years ago or so when he was a rookie. And he didn't get the opportunity that Brandon Fought is getting. Certainly the Scherzer teams didn't go this far. Um, but Brandon Fought has some similarities. You look at their pitch arsenal. Max Scherzer throws five different pitches. Brandon Fought throws three. Um, but if you look at their primary pitches, the three that Fought throws, he throws a fastball about 93-94. Max Scherzer throws relatively the same speed fastball. He has a slider, Scherzer does, whereas Fought has a sweeper. Then they've both got change-ups at the exact same speed. So they have an interesting skill set that is comparable. Um, and I think that, you know, they're just on complete polar opposite ends of their careers. Mm -hmm. That's what makes this game beautiful to me. Now, Max Scherzer's coming off of a major injury. He's only pitched twice in this postseason. And it's not like he had the opportunity for, you know, to ramp back up. So he's having to do that in the postseason. So right. the best Max Scherzer might still be to come. He's only thrown two outings, a four-inning outing where he gave up five runs, and a two-and-two-thirds where he gave up two. Does that worry you at all, by the way? For that the him or that for the, the D-backs? That the best of Max Scherzer is yet to come. I wouldn't say it worries me. I'm cautious about it. I, I'm not looking, I'm not overlooking him. How's that? Sure, that, that's a... It's Max Scherzer. That's a good, I mean. Yeah, like, that's just it. But then at the same time, we seen two outings where he hasn't really looked that great. And yeah, he's coming off a major injury. I don't want to... He's don't also, wanna, what, 39? I don't want to disparage that. Okay, but he also, he's been awesome this year outside of the injury, right? Like, to our point, he's Mad Max Scherzer. And same with the Astros and Justin Verlander. Like, he's Justin Verlander. These guys pitch late into their careers because they can stay healthy and they just continue to have good stuff for lack of a better word. He is 39 years old. He was drafted. Oh, do you know who drafted him originally? Originally? Drafted by in the 43rd round of the 2003 June Amateur Draft. So he was out of high school, but he went to college. So no, yeah, I don't right. know. The St. Louis Cardinals. 
which feels relevant because of all the parallels we've been talking what about. A, what a rough time to be a Cardinals fan, Zach right? Zach Gallen came from the Cardinals originally. Adolis Garcia Adolis is a Garcia. They basically gave him away for chump change. Uh, we talked about a lot of the parallels to David Freeze in the 2011 World Series facing these Rangers. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of weird parallels. We mentioned Albert Pujols Cardinals. tonight. Yeah, we did. So that's another interesting tie. He did eventually get drafted by the Diamondbacks in the first round. Where did he go to college since you got it up? Uh, wasn't it Mizzou? Did I make that up? You're the one with the stat page. University up. of Missouri, yes. Okay. He went to Mizzou. I'm glad you didn't make that up. Thank you. The only other university I applied to. Well, which one accepted you? A- well, they both accepted me. ASU and Mizzou. But I didn't want to go to an old school. Like, I figured, I, I literally made my college choice because of baseball. I was like, I'm, huh. two, I'm two hours from St. Louis and I'm two hours from Kansas City. But if I'm in Phoenix at ASU, I can just walk to the game. That True. was literally what it came down to for me. That Maybe not the smartest way to make the biggest decision of your education career, but hey, look, people have look who ma- you're talking to. People have made their big decisions a lot easier with a lot less uh, to go off of, so it's all good. I'm interested to see, though, how much the Rangers are going to have to rely on the bullpen. Because if Scherzer doesn't make it out of the fourth inning, then you're going to have to dig into some of those guys. Now, we talked with Alex Weiner earlier, our D-backs insider. The Rangers have been using a lot of starting pitchers as relievers. Which makes me wonder... What the heck are they going to do for Game 4? Who they've used in relief so far? They've used John Gray. They've used Martin Perez. They've used um, Dane Dunning twice already. They used Andrew Heaney tonight in very, a very short outing. So I'm guessing they, they just wanted him to spot in as a lefty and try and mitigate things. But it didn't last long. So maybe they go to Heaney. But this was... This is this has me all sorts of confused for their game four. We know what the plan is for the Diamondbacks, some sort of a bullpen game. <laughs> we know the plan. They, it'll it'll happen. You knew what I meant. You knew what I <laughs> the meant. The plan is we don't know the plan yet, but we know it'll be a bullpen game. You're right. We just have a great plan. We just don't know what it is. The only guys with starts for the Rangers in the postseason so far, Nate Yavaldi has five starts. Yeah. Jordan Montgomery has five starts. Andrew Heaney has two starts. Max Scherzer has two starts. Albeit very short outings. So maybe it is Heaney. So while they have all these guys, you mentioned Dane Dunning, John Gray, Martin Perez was an all-star starter last year. Uh, They've got guys who can start games, it's just they haven't been using them that way. So are they going to dig into their bullpen and grab one of those guys to throw three or four innings? Or do they just turn back to Andrew Heaney, who didn't impress me all that much? And maybe that's why they've readjusted. There's two names that they still haven't gotten to yet, Steve, in that bullpen. I'm just kind of waiting for them to make their appearance this series. I had read that Aroldis Chapman lined up, uh, uh, warmed up today. I'd believe it. That he warmed up in the bullpen this, but didn't get used. This game was 2-1 to one entering the 7th. Jordan Montgomery went out and pitched into the 7th inning tonight. Like, this was a close game for the entirety of it until they, the offense exploded late. So I'm not surprised that Chapman would have been an available option. Now, Chapman's not their best reliever. We all know who he is. He's been in the league a long time. He's got postseason pedigree. He throws hard. All that is still true. But he's not their best reliever anymore. But Josh Spores is one of their better relievers over the course of this year. I'm a little surprised that after two home games, the Texas Rangers have not used him yet. You felt like this also would have been the night to, if you want to limit damage and you want to keep the team close, like, don't throw Jordan Montgomery out there again. Put in Josh Spores and have him, you know, hold a hold a can of fire extinguisher and keep things down, you know? It would be like if Arizona went through the first two games without using Kevin Ginkle, who, by the way, also I saw warming up in the bullpen today. Yeah. I don't know how serious and then the game it got. got out of hand and yeah, it just, yeah. you didn't need him anymore. No, and he threw 28 pitches yesterday, so I don't know. Yeah. But I, I find that at least a little bit intriguing that, for whatever reason, the Rangers have not gone with their typical relief Strategy, and it makes me nervous because I think if they get a if they get a sizable enough lead in any of these upcoming games at Chase Field, I think we will see Josh Spores, and I think we will see Josh Spores often in these upcoming three games. Brandon Fought gets Game Three at home at Chase Field the way he did in the NLCS as well, where he's uh, not allowed a run at home this postseason. Interesting. He's been fantastic. I mean, he was the best pitcher on this team, best starting pitcher on this team in the postseason before tonight's outing for Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly solidified it tonight. Yep. But I would love to see the competitive nature of these two guys just feed off of each other. Now, the same goes for Zach Gallen, who I believe can still have a positive outing 
Like, I, I'm not all down on Zach Allen right now. I don't want to be down because no. then I just feel like I'm not supporting the guy who's supposed to be the ace. I'm hoping he looks around the clubhouse and gets some of that energy from the other guys and that he feeds off of it heading into his next start, which presumably will be game five. And that's going to be a pivotal game that we know for a fact they'll have to play. Mm-hmm. And it'll be at home Yep, where Zach Allen has been much more comfortable this season. So um, there is something to that as well. It's just kind of a negative streak right now for Gallon. So I hope that when the time comes around on Wednesday and it's his turn to pitch, he looks like the Gallon that we've seen at home so many times this year. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. You got anything else Mitch, <laughs> that we should touch on tonight? Well, we, I feel like everything happened today. I, I'm just trying to think about our timeline. We talk about D-backs last night. We talk about D-backs this morning. And here we are again talking about D-backs tonight. And then we're going to be back again on Monday to talk about D-backs. Tuesday to talk about D-backs. Wednesday to talk about D-backs. You know, it's funny. Every time we try to map out a Saturday show in the early parts of the Dimax season, it's like, what can we do to squeeze in a Dimax segment here? Now it's literally, is there any reason to take a Dimax segment out? And we just don't have that any reasoning for that at I all. I saw a clip at the Suns home opener tonight. Where, by the way, huge home opener where they're honoring all of the greats in yeah. the new Ring of Honor. And they killed the Utah Jazz. It's like the game to be at and the entire arena chanting for the Diamondbacks when they were finishing out game two tonight. It's it's the it's a vibe right now in the city, man. It is an absolute vibe right now. And it's going to continue on Monday. 5.03 first pitch on Monday evening. Game three, Brandon Fought versus the old D-back, Max Scherzer. We hope you'll join us then. For my co-host, Mitch Vareldis, for everybody who made the show work tonight, and for our D-Backs insider, Alex Weiner, for joining us from Arlington tonight, I am Steve Zinsmeister. We'll hope, we hope you'll join us for Game 3 coverage after the game on Monday night. We will see you then on the Arizona Sports World Series post-game special.